0: Good morning. It's true. You're asleep already. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we continue our series of the church. How is the church, how are we as a family of God, how are we supposed to respond to what's happening around us? I love the song we just sang. Jesus is the remedy. I don't know what you bring into here. I don't know your sorrows. For some of you, I do know, and I know many of them are very, very heavy. I don't know the pain of your family situation, but He does. I can promise you, if it's spiritual, Jesus is the remedy. If it's physical, if it's financial, whatever it is, may we continue... To look to God's provision for life, for meaning, for joy, for peace in the face of Christ. And what a privilege is ours to journey again together as a family. Underneath the word of God, holding us up as our authority. Saying, Jesus, again today, will you be our remedy? Because unbelievably, as we drink deeply of the truth of a God who loves and a God who saves and a God who makes everything glorious, including you and me, we go in His name as a remedy. We go to a culture in crisis. That's why we're here. That's why we're the church. God has raised us up to love us really well and to fill us with His presence and to fill us with His glory so that we can go with that remedy. There's good news. But again, let me stay. That for some of you this morning, the thought of going is very difficult because of the burden you're carrying today. And for you, let me just encourage you, go sit at Jesus' feet. As you hear his words, let him remove that burden. Let him wrap his arms around you and just remind you that we have life in Christ. So whoever you are, let us drink deeply from the gospel. Let me start off with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we have sung... The truth about what Jesus does and has done and is doing and will do. And that is that he will make everything glorious. And Father, we don't feel oftentimes filled with glory, we're filled with gloom and despair, difficulty. So, Father, we ask you to come and do that which only you can do. Only you can make this message glorious. Because, Father, I'm a broken sinner. I'm a broken sinner with nothing to say that can add life or that can help. Except if you speak through me and make even this sermon glorious. Only you are capable of doing that. And God, only you are capable of opening up ears right now that need to hear from you. Father, there are many that are eager to hear. There are many who come here this morning longing to hear your voice because they're weary and they're tired and they're broken and they're in despair. Father, there's even those this morning that are here that have never heard you before. And they're here wondering if you can even still speak today. And Father, there are those who have been hearing You for a long time and have been journeying with You in faithfulness. All of us, Father, whoever we are, we come as needy folks. We come as family. We come into Your presence and ask You to do that only which You can do. Open up our ears to hear Your voice. Illumine our minds through the power of the Spirit to understand Your Word and Your will for us. Father, even this morning, take our hearts the parts that don't believe, the parts that are crusty and stony with sin, and crush them by your love and give us a heart of flesh and a heart of faith. God, we ask, because we're your people and you have called us to carry the remedy of Jesus Christ to a dark and hurting world, that you would empower our feet, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, Believing deep in the core of our beings that you make everything glorious and that we are yours. And that makes us glorious in your sight. Shine, shine, Jesus, shine. For the glory of your Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We find ourselves in the biggest financial crisis of our lifetime. Is it true? I mean, do you believe that? Maybe some of you who have journeyed in life longer than I have uh, can say, no, I remember another time. But it seems to me that this is the greatest crisis, the financial crisis we have been in. But what does that really mean for you and me? Has anybody missed a meal yet? I haven't. And yet, when I look uh, to my 401k uh, to see how our retirement plan is doing, and again, it's a 42 year old, I don't look at it very often. I realized that in about a year's time, I lost a substantial amount, just like many of you have. And for those of you who have recently retired, I know some of you have. And for some of you who are looking for that day that you thought was going to come soon, uh, to be able to slow down and retire, I feel your pain. I can't imagine having worked uh, so many years, feeling like you've built something up, to see it in a matter of weeks, months, really take wings and fly away. I have good news. Our hope is not in our retirement. I have good news. Our hope is not in the economy. I have good news. We have a Savior that is greater than our financial crisis. I have a good news. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and He still is on the throne today. I have good news. Our God is sovereign ruler of the universe, of every atom, of every one of us. I have good news. In the face of this crisis, we have hope. And it's my hope and prayer that you know that hope personally in Jesus. But how is the church to respond to this financial crisis? Really, that's the question. And we are looking this morning at how the church does respond in crisis. We find ourselves in one right now. But ever since man fell, ever since we rebelled in Adam against God and turned our back to God, we have found ourselves, even as God's people, even as God's family, surrounded by crisis. Crisis is here to stay. Jesus, when he walked this earth as God in flesh, came across crisis. He showed us how to navigate that. And as the body of Christ, we need to act similarly as Jesus did. The church in crisis. How do we respond now to what is happening in our culture? And how will we respond in the future? We're going to look at two passages today. The first one is going to be in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin by looking at the early church, uh, the church uh, right where the apostles, as the Holy Spirit has come. Um, we're going to look to see how they responded to crisis. Now listen, we're going to look at that one, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8. And the reason that we're going to look at these two passages is because one particularly deals with crisis within, right here in our midst. I try to dance. I try to say, we are And we are. But even in our midst this family, there's a lot of crisis going on right here. And it's not just the economy. It's many of our health uh, members that are struggling right now, just uh, side of glory. For many of us, it's our marriages. For many in here as family, um, you're going through a deep valley in your marriage. For many of you, it is that financial crunch. For some of you, it's your job. But we're all going to find crisis. So we look to Acts 2. This is what we have. God God loves us and he wants to enter in with us. And he's going to reveal who he is and how we need to respond through his word. So we're going to look at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And then we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 8. And we're going to look to that passage at the church of Macedonia. And how did they respond to crisis that they heard that others were experiencing, not in their community close by, but far away. And we'll be amazed. So let's, let's be mindful as we look at these two passages. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Let's be mindful that we're reading God's holy, inerrant word. Acts 2. They, the early church, the believers, dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, just like we are right now under God's word and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs before by the apostles. And here's this family that I pray that God will make us. Here's where we got to see a pattern for us. All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions To give to anyone who is in need. They took care of family. We we do here covenant baptisms. And what a privilege it is for us to see God bring in our children into this covenant blessing. And as a family, we raise our hands. We say, yes, I'll do everything I can to help these parents raise these children. Well, they had a similar way of helping out one another. And that was they saw a need. When they saw a need in their body, he said, God, what did you give me to help this need? Even if it requires me selling something so I could help those in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a great picture. It's a great picture of how God's church is supposed to be family. That we have all things in common because why? We have Christ in common. Christ is our head, He's our life, He's our joy. He has made us have all things in common. Gator fans, Seminole fans, Hurricane fans, Republicans, uh, Democrats, in Christ, we have Christ bringing us together. Do we believe it? And as bringing us together, we have to take care of one another. It's our privilege. It's our responsibility. And the early church that we're willing to sacrifice for those who are hurting. Sometimes it's hard for us to see each other's needs. I mean, we're not a huge church, but you probably don't know the needs of very many folks. So one of the things that we have done for years, we have something called the Deacon's Fund. We actually collect this fund usually in our equipping center class, our Sunday school classes. And it's funds set aside just for our family that's hurting. Just for those whose life is is, uh, falling apart, uh, mostly financially, and they need to have some help. You have contributed to that for the years so well, Orangewood. Let me say thank you. The deacons, I remember coming to the deacons and they always say, okay, let me tell you the balance in our deacons fund. And my response is this, if we have it, we give it. And if there's ever a need, we give it. And if we run out, I'll stand up and say, hey, We have people that are hurting, and we run out. We've run out. Our deacons fund is at zero. Um, It's a a great fund that we were just able to give several thousand dollars to a family in crisis in the last two weeks. Uh, These families, uh, the deacons uh, get with and, and make sure that these are legitimate needs. But this is taking God's resources that you have given to this fund to bless families. Next week, we're going to have a special offering uh, on top of our offering for our deacons fund. And it's not going to be in equipping center classes. It's going to be right here in church. And let me ask you, seek God's face, saying, God, what do you want me to sell this week or negotiate this week? Or what do you want me to give so that there'll be those that can be blessed and we could be like the early church? And those in need. There's great needs in our midst right now, my brothers and sisters. So next week we'll have that. Let's turn now to uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he's going to use an example of another church. And how they're responding to needs to encourage the church in Corinth. And to encourage the church at Orangewood. Because this is for us today. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, verse 1. I'm going to read 1-7 through in verse 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Okay? So there's churches in Macedonia that God has given grace to, and Paul wants us aware of them. And listen to this. In the midst of very severe trials. So they were in crisis. In the midst of very severe trials, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Unbelievable. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. This is a church that pleaded to give. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Wow! Was the Spirit of Living God working in that church saying to the officers, would you please allow us to give money to those who are hurting outside our midst? And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord. And that's where we always begin. It doesn't start with our money. Let me especially deal with all those of you who might be visiting here. This is not a message about giving first and foremost our money. This is a message about giving our lives to the Lord and finding life there. And that's what they did. That's where they started. They realized that their identity, their joy, their hope came from God. And first and foremost, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. That they were to excel in everything. Let me skip to verse 9. For now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through your poverty we might become rich. Let's pray it again. Father, this is an incredible passage, two passages, about a church that was willing to sell stuff to give to those who had nothing, to those who were in need. They didn't just give the excess. They didn't just give the leftovers. They sold stuff to be able to give. And then to hear about a church that was In an extreme crisis. And yet, overflowed with joy. A church that had a similar financial budget than we have right now. And yet, richly gave. Because of the treasure of Christ. Father, please let us all see how we need to respond as this church in this crisis for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you guys have seen the newspapers or the reports about the Army's latest plan with their medical doctors. You know, maybe it's a financial crisis, but the uh, Army uh, has spent a great deal of money uh, training their doctors, uh, putting them through uh, uh, med school at our taxpayer's expense. And they realize what an incredible investment they have made in the doctors. And they're fearful of losing that investment. So their latest studies say that they're going to keep all the doctors together here in the U.S. at the nicest basis with the best golf courses. That way, we don't lose any doctors. We don't lose any of our investment. They'll all be healthy. They won't get sick. They won't contract any diseases. And they'll always be outside of harm's way. What do you think of the idea? Well, thank God it's not our Army's idea. I made it up. But the point I want to make is this, how absolutely asinine and stupid would it be for us not to have our doctors on the front line? How crazy would it be for us to be willing to send our young men and women into harm's way and not have the support and the comfort and those the ability and training to bring healing? How crazy would it be for the church to believe that we're to gather here in a safe environment of these walls and just make sure that we keep those who are hurting, sinful, and broken out there. For the church to be the church, where should we be? Where there's darkness, where there's brokenness, where there's need, where there's need for those to be comfort. You see, God has comforted us. God shines through us so that we can shine through others. And I, again, we looked at that last week with church and culture. But I want to begin again this week by saying to each and every one of us that we are the light of the world. That God has called this church, Orangewood, to shine for His glory. And we have to go where there's crisis. We have to go where there's brokenness. And that's across the street. That's in different neighborhoods in our community. That's where God is calling us. It would be crazy if we just stay here together and just sing praises and put our arms around each other and feel like, man, we got it all here together. We come here and get charged up so we can go and serve. Does that make sense? That's what God has called us to do. Uh, I read the 2 Corinthians 8 passage. Along with the deacon's fund, uh, next week, we're taking another offering. There's, there's, it's going to be our n- typical offering. Then we're going to have an offering for our deacon's fund, but we're also going to have an offering for Haiti. Haiti uh, uh, is a a place that's been devastated by hurricanes. Uh, We have uh, one of our missionaries, SAE, who he and his family worshiped with us while he was in seminary. Uh, Basically lost everything. Joe's going to come tell you more details uh, in a few minutes about their situation. And I have some great news for you, Orangewood. In the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our crisis, in the midst of where we are right now, God is calling us to give. And he's calling us to give, not just to ourselves, but to give to others. And by the grace of God, may we be like that Macedonian church. In the midst of our struggle, saying, we want to help those in need. And I guarantee you, Haiti's got greater needs than we are. Because we have a culture in crisis, and God has called us to help solve the problem. I'm going to say three things. One is, are you a consumer of culture? Um, if you are looking for culture to fix this crisis, you are a consumer of culture. Are you a contributor to culture? And lastly, how do we as a church respond in this this culture of crisis? The first one is this. Are you a consumer of culture? Are you a consumer of the world? Do you look to the world and to culture to fix the crisis? Is your hope in this upcoming election? Are you watching the debate saying... Which one of these men is able to really fix the crisis? Are we really pinning our hopes on a man? Are we really pinning our hopes on a political party? Yes, God raises up these men. Yes, He works His plan through these parties. God is still sovereign, but never, Church of Orangewood, never should we give our hope away to a party, whether it's Democrat or Republican. Amen? But for those who are consumers of culture, they're going to look at culture and they're going to look at culture to fix the problem. And their hope is not going to be in Christ. Their hope is going to be in something else. And for those who are consumers of culture, they will ask these kind of questions. What can the government, what can the culture do for me? Maybe their hope is in the $70 million, billion bailout. I, I got to tell you, I, I watched these debates and... It's amazing how narcissistic of a society we are. That Really, the questions we ask, the concern we have is, how are you going to make my life better? How are you going to alleviate my tax burden? How are you going to bring security to my life? How are you going to make sure that my retirement is taken care of? How are you going to make sure that my life is the way I want to live it and feel good? we really... Looking to them, looking to man for those answers, don't we look to Christ? But you see, a consumer of culture is going to look at culture for some important things because of this. First thing is this needing something to gain. Our world is broken. Every single one of us, made in God's image because of sin, is broken, needing something. And apart from Christ, our world is going to look to culture for their identity. Please tell me who I am. Tell me how I have value. Tell me how I have security. Tell me how I have worth. That is why it's such hot debate right now. That's why this is such a critical issue for so many in our world. They want to have answers to this financial crisis because why? That's their identity. That is their worth. That is their security. They are looking at culture, looking to say, let me consume something that will make me feel good about me. That will bring stability to me. That will give me worth. And apart from Christ, they have really nothing to give. When you look at culture, they have nothing that can impact culture for the good. Nothing to counterbalance them. That is a picture of those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They were going to look to the politicians, to the bailouts, to bring them hope, identity, in the midst of this crisis. But that's not us. Church, we need to be contributors to culture. We need to be value-added as Christians. Why? Because not in of ourselves, but who we are in Christ, we have something to give. Christ in you. Christ in you and me. God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. God has given us new light in Christ. Why? So that we have something to give a dark and dying world. So we have something to contribute to the culture that transformed them. And what do we give? We give Jesus. Colossians one twenty seven says this, To them God has chosen, He's chosen us, to make known among the Gentiles, uh, those in this world, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amazingly, God wants to make a difference in this world through your life. He wants to leverage your life in a way that it really brings true change. In a way that it really impacts the world you live in. And on your own, you're like me, we have nothing to offer. Nothing to leverage. But with Christ we have everything to offer. He is the light of the world. He is the only remedy. And wherever you go tomorrow, today, this week, you as a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you have the remedy. We're going to listen all week, all the way up until the election in November. What is the remedy? Which plan has more hope? How can we believe in which man's really going to lift us out of this crisis? Jesus is the only hope in this and every crisis. And you and I have the privilege of bringing Jesus wherever we go. We have nothing to lose. As a contributor to culture, we have something to give. And here's the great reality. We have nothing to lose. Why? Because by God's grace, we have found our identity in Him. By God's grace, we have found our security in Him. By God's grace, our hope isn't in an economic turnaround. Our hope isn't that real estate gets cranking up. I mean, that's a small hope that we have. I mean, certainly we want our, our, our society to do well and our jobs to, to come back to where they were. But that's not ultimately our hope, is it? I mean, is our hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? We have nothing to lose because in Christ, we already have that identity. Isn't that great? We can go into the world, into culture, not seeking our own identity, not seeking our own security, not seeking joy, not seeking for someone else to fix it to make my life better. We go having it already in Christ. So we go unfettered. We go saying, God, whatever you want to bring my way, so be it. God be the glory because I'm yours and I'm loved and I'm set free and I'm forgiven and I'm filled with the Spirit. And in Christ Jesus, I have riches that will never fade away. I don't have to find my identity. I don't have to find my security. I don't have to find my worth in a society that goes up and down that's continually in crisis. Because why? Because we stand on Christ, the solid rock. And so we go without anything to lose because in Christ we have gained everything. Are we a contributor to culture or are we consuming culture? And lastly, are we a church, a real true church, when culture is in crisis, life-giving? What was up with that church, those churches in Macedonia? Look again, if you like, at Second Corinthians eight, because it describes their conditions: extreme poverty, extreme trial. I mean, the the the, the weight of these words—that this isn't not just a, a crisis that is passing them by. They're fighting for literally their daily bread. I mean, their crisis was so much more than ours. And yet, when they heard of a famine in Jerusalem, when they heard of crisis elsewhere. In the midst of extreme trial, in the midst of extreme poverty, they were overflowing with joy. What is up with that? Are they delusional? I mean, how in the world, in the midst of those struggles, can you have extreme joy? Well, the answer is this. Having a joy that cannot be touched. Having a joy that cannot be touched even in the midst of their severe trials. And here's the reality. Their trials were very weighty. So much so that it affected all of their life. But they had a Savior who was even weightier. They had a glory that could never fade away. They had a prize. They had life that couldn't be taken. Why did they have overwhelming joy? Because Jesus was greater than their trial. And in the midst of their struggle, they saw Him clearly. And he was beautiful. In the midst of their struggle, he was there with them, saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In the midst of how hard it got, they knew that they were God's children. They knew that they were loved. They knew that God would have to stop being God before he turned his back on them. God would have to stop being God before he would not provide for them their daily bread. They knew it. They knew that they were loved by the creator of the universe and they were overwhelmed with joy because it was so much greater than the temporary pain that they were going through. Do you know that joy? Do you know that joy of Jesus that he's going to see you through and he's going to get you home? Having a joy that can't be touched. Your 401ks, it can be touched. Your retirement plans, it can be touched. The value of your houses, it can be touched. Your health, it can be touched. Your marriage, your children, all of that can be touched but only if God allows it. Because He's still God. And He's the sovereign ruler. And He has given us joy in the midst of struggle that can't be touched. Isn't that good news? Having riches that cannot be lost. A church that is able to respond this way has a joy that can't be touched And they realize that we have riches that cannot be lost. How do we, Orangewood, show rich generosity in the midst of our extreme struggles? I can't say extreme poverty. I don't know extreme poverty. I, I don't. But even through our current struggles, how can we show rich generosity? And again, the answer is... Jesus. They realized they had a treasure that could never be lost. A treasure and a Savior that had rescued them. A treasure and a Savior that would shed His blood to give life and to cover sin. A treasure and a Savior's righteousness that robed them and robes us and makes us beautiful in the Father's sight. They realized they had a treasure with the relationship of the living God. That nothing ever, life, death, hell itself, demons, demonic powers, nothing could tr- touch. They realized that they had a treasure that wouldn't take wings and fly away like many of your retirements. And that treasure was Christ. They had riches that could not be lost. Ephesians 1.3 says this to us as his children. It says, "We in Christ, we have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Everything that God the Father can love us with, that could be bless us with, has been given to us in Christ Jesus. They all haven't been realized yet. Some of them we'll see when we see him face to face. But do you believe it?" Do you know that God is holding nothing behind His back for us? Because He who did not spare His Son, will He not freely give us all things that will bring us life and joy and fellowship with Him? That's our God. He loves us that much. And we have in Christ Jesus today all the spiritual blessings guaranteed for us. An inheritance that will never fade away in Christ Jesus. It will never take wings. And fly away. It'll never be lost. Here's the great news. You and I can't even mess it up. Because once He has a hold on us as His children, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing. And He will hold on to us as His treasure. Listen to what First Peter 1 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. How in the world can the church at Macedonia, out of their extreme poverty, beg for the privilege to give to another church? Because they had a treasure in Christ that could never fade away. They had an identity in Him, and they realized everything else was negotiable. They had Jesus. What was God the Father willing to sell to meet your needs? Listen, this is the gospel. What was God the Father willing to sell to meet your needs and to help you and me out of this spiritual poverty that we find ourselves in? He sold His Son. He sold His Son, His his eternal Son. I mean, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish. What did God give to get us out of poverty, out of this crisis? of sin and death and misery. He gave us the very best. He gave us Jesus so that we can have life. And what was Jesus' willingness to respond to this part of redemption? What did Jesus do? The scripture says, he emptied himself of all but love. Jesus, who was rich with the Father, who had everything, he became poor. He became poor by taking on flesh, by being a pauper, by saying, I don't even have a home to sleep in. By when he was asked for uh, money, he had to ask for somebody else to give it to him. He had nothing. He became poor. So that you and I, in his name, could become rich. That doesn't mean worldly wealth. That means you're rich in a relationship in life with the Father. That is what Jesus was willing to do. He didn't just empty out his pockets with chump change. He emptied out his veins of, lo- of blood. He emptied out his life so that we could have life, so that we could have hope, so that we could have treasure in the midst of crisis. We must respond. The church at Macedonia responded because they realized this. They had to respond. And we must respond out of love. It's such good news. God is not calling us to respond to earn his love. We've already gotten it. But now he's asking us to be obedient. So next week, if we talk about church in the world, we're going to have two offerings. We're going to have a deacon's fund offering to help those beside you that are really hurting right now. And there's many of them because our balance is zero. We're also going to give an offering to Haiti. Um, and we're going to take that and, and uh, divide it up and give some to the deacons and some to the Haiti Relief Fund. Joe's going to come in just a minute and tell us more about that. But let me say this as your pastor. Before we give outside, we've got to give to the bride of Christ here. God has called us to be faithful with all that he's given to us. He's called us to bring into the storehouse our tithes and offerings. And what really breaks my heart is two things. One, he says this. He says, test me in this in Malachi 3. And see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven. That you're missing an incredible blessing. It may not be financial, but just the blessing of God to be faithful. And your church right now is in crisis. I mean, again, we're going to have another session meeting tonight. We're seeing more and more what we can cut. And we've got to do that as being good stewards. And we're willing to do that. But we also have to have people that are obedient to God. And the second thing that really drives me crazy is some of you are not submitting to the authority of the church. And you say, I can give my money apart from the church because I will direct it in a better way. Even if that's true, you're not being obedient. We show that we're under a covering, under a headship of Christ and that Christ has set up the body of Christ by bringing in our tithes and offerings. And let the elders and pastors prayerfully consider how we not only keep the lights on, but what ministries we support. So for those of you who are tithing, let me encourage you, great news, next week we have, a, we have a chance to be like the Church of Macedonia. We have a chance to give beyond. For those of you who aren't, let me challenge you, begin by being faithful to your own body. And God will richly bless you. May God be pleased with us as we respond in faith to what He has done for us. Let us pray. Father, it's my hope and prayer that only the grace of God and the eternal love of Jesus will compel us to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to You. Not out of duty, not out of fear, but God, because we love You because You first loved us. Because Jesus has given us everything we need in this life. He's given us our identity as Christians. He has given us access to you, the Father. We have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have an inheritance that will never fade away. And now, God, we want to respond simply out of gratitude, saying thank you, knowing that you will provide for us. Father, have your way with us. May the church respond to this crisis in a way that the glory of Christ shines brightly and not the hope of man.